Welcome to Be Your Own Loud, our live stream. And I want to say hi to everybody who's on LinkedIn, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube. I'm Matt Haller. I'm super happy that you're here. Here's the thing. The idea behind this show is very, very, very simple. We are trying to find amazing people who have done a couple of different things, risen above the noise in their own way. They're unapologetically themselves and that they've embodied their loud in their own way. And using these interviews with these wonderfully inspirational people, what we're hoping to do is to get you motivated and excited to try to rise above the noise and be your own loud. Today, Gavin Hammer is our guest. Now, this gentleman is somebody that uh, you might not have heard about because he's not really necessarily been behind the scenes, but a very major event just happened, which is uh, he sold his company that he bootstrapped from the ground floor, basically in a garage, and he just sold Sendable to a company called Traject. Let's bring Gavin on here and um, let's go. Be your own loud. Gavin, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you so much, Matt. Now, here's the thing. I start the show off with the same story or with the same question, which is tell me your story. Now, there's a lot to your story here. So take the time that you need, because I think that this is a magnificent setup, especially when we were uh, prepping for the show, some of the philosophical things that you wanted to make sure that you built into Sendable. Yeah, so just some background about me. So I'm, I'm from South Africa originally, grew up there, and I moved to the UK back in 2005. And just after I moved here, well, a few years later, my, my dad asked me if I could create some scheduling software to help him schedule emails for his his staff, his team's birthdays. So I, I worked away so back in 2007, 2008. I started building this little Windows application, which let you sort of schedule emails and text messages to go out on people's birthdays, that kind of thing. And just around that time, Facebook was obviously taking off in the mainstream after colleges and everything. Then there was there was even Friendster, all these other tools, and MySpace was coming about. So as they were like gaining traction, I started adding these little integrations into this tool that I built for scheduling emails. And suddenly it became a tool that you schedule not only emails, but also social media posts. So I thought, okay, let me put this thing on the internet. So I went and I got this secondhand server for 10 pounds, plugged into my home router in my, my apartment. Plugged it in and bought the website, turned it on, and suddenly we had like twenty thousand people using this thing for free, <laughs> just scheduling their social media posts on you know Twitter, Facebook, etc. So I thought, okay, something must be here, but I'll, I'll keep it free for now. Uh, so I kept on iterating this thing just on the side while I was working as a software consultant. Kept building it out. There was a point where I was working, I was, I was getting, I was making some revenue from this thing, so through advertising, people were, avid, were paying to place ads in the posts and that kind of thing. So I made about 400 pounds a month in the beginning. And uh, in my employment contract, it said, you have to get permission to register a business. Oh. So I went to my boss and I said, look, can I get permission to register the company? I need to um, obviously register so I can declare the income. And uh, the uh, boss, so the guy I worked for basically said, well, if you give us half your company, you can keep your job uh, and work on this on the side. Oh. Uh, we'll, we'll let you keep your job. So that's what I did. I gave, ended up giving away 10% of the company in order to keep my job for while working for them. They promised me everything. They promised me connections, paying for the hosting, everything, but nothing actually materialized in the end. So then I, I decided to, back in, this is like after working for them for about a year after doing this, decided to quit my job and go all in on, on Sendable. Now, that, just, just to backtrack, the name Sendable, because of all these little integrations I was adding, it comes from uh, sending anything is possible. So the ability to send any type of post is possible. So that, that kind of combination of the words is what, is what 
brought the name about. So essentially, I quit my job in 2010, had about six months of savings, and I bought back a 10% equity. I used all my savings to buy back <laughs> and had some left over to work on Sendable full-time. So I went from in the first year, of, I made about $4,000 the first year to making 100,000 pounds in the second year of being all in on Sendable. And then from there, just carried carry on, kept on growing, and I pivoted to this, this business tool. And that's kind of the founding story, like how it got started. Um, and then I hired my first employee in 2012. So it was a long, long you know journey that took me to where we are now. So what's next, dude? I mean, so you you sold it, right? You sold it. And tell me a little bit about Traject. I, I don't even know. Is that a is that a are they in the space already? I don't really know much about them. Yeah. So obviously the, the company's been around for 13 years. So since I founded it in 2008, we've been going and growing like, like crazy in the last five years. So what happened was last year in particular during COVID, we saw a lot of demand for our product, just more and more sort of interest, not only from customers, but from other tech companies as well, just mm. reaching out. They saw us growing, more customers coming on. We, we, we ranked like in the top five tools in our space in the world. And with the sudden demand for all these businesses going online as a result of COVID, we had all this attention on us last year. So I had emails from like very well-known tech companies in Silicon Valley interested in us. Huh. And then one, one private equity firm, Traject, which is the one you mentioned now, reached out. And when they first reached out, I wasn't really interested in selling the company and I wasn't really going to exit or anything. I wanted to build this long-term company that it grow organically for 30 years and keep, keep growing it. But last year, I started feeling like the company was getting too big for me. So as a founder, entrepreneur, you know, there's a point where the company almost outgrows you. Yeah. So as the company got bigger and bigger, I was doing less of what I really enjoyed doing, like less of the creative stuff. Mm -hmm. So more of the admin and operation stuff and hiring and the other stuff that I don't, I don't enjoy as much as actually building stuff, like creating businesses. So with, with COVID, I had a bit more time to think about what I really wanted. And we had these, this interest from other companies coming in. So I thought, let me start exploring what the options could look like. So I spoke to Traject. They were obviously, they, they understood sort of SaaS companies, software as a service companies. Mm -hmm. They understood bootstrapped founders like myself, like being fully bootstrapped. And they really understood that pain that I was facing of like the company getting big and me wanting to be creative again. So I spoke to them, they made an offer. And at first I said no, and I went away. And then after I said no, all these other offers started coming in. Like again, like more companies interested. Oh. So I spoke to them. And the other companies would, would, would mean that Sendable would kind of disappear, would be part of another like well-known tech oh. company and be a different name. But I wanted the legacy to, to outlive me essentially. So have Sendable remain. So I went back to Traject and we started speaking more seriously because they, they promised they would keep Sendable as it is, not make any changes, sort of help fulfill the vision that I have for the company. And that's what we did. So we, we spoke uh, for about eight months, well, two months initially, and then three months of diligence, plus a few extra months, backs and forwards. And then eventually we, we closed the deal in February. So after a long process, it started like last summer, mm -hmm. but finally, I finally sold to them. And yeah, so they, they have around 30 other software as a service companies in their group and they all just help each other. So it's really like all the companies are, are independent, run independently, mm -hmm. but they kind of leverage off each other through knowledge sharing and maybe passing on customers that could benefit from other tools in the group and Sendable is staying the same, except they, they, they put in place a new CEO that's better at managing sort of the, the growth or this, like this, this level of growth that we're at now. I would be as a sort of founder. But now I'm, I'm with the company for six months before I move on to something else. Well, let's talk about the something else here in a second. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that you really are focused on 
so Sendable allowed you to scale things, right? But you did very specific things within your organization that you refer to as unscalable. And we here at Proudmouth support this a million percent because a lot of it just has to do with the human connection, the human relationship. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? If I go back to the beginning, the early stages, uh, when I created Sendable, it was just me for the first two, three years, right? Um, and in the beginning, I believed that you needed to pretend you were bigger than you actually were. So I thought, okay, for us to compete with the likes of Hootsuite and other well-known, like well-funded companies, I needed to hide behind the fact that we wanted to, to be perceived as a bigger company. So something I did, I created, I created, I created a fake employee in the beginning. I named her Lisa. It was actually me. And she would answer all the support tickets and do all the sales, outbound sales, emails, and that kind of thing. So I thought I, you couldn't have the founder being that person. You have to pretend there's someone else. Mm-hmm. So I created this, this facade. It's an outside world. And um, only like the last two years, I realized that we could really leverage or like, benefit from being more transparent in a very crowded space with lots of competitors mm-hmm. where they're very well funded. By us being more authentic and human and showing our faces and being more transparent, we could be the opposite of what those bigger companies stand for. If you contact Hootsuite, you don't really get a response from a human there or someone that you can, someone whose story you can get behind. So I started to just experiment with like, if I was more transparent, sharing my story on social media, maybe having a podcast to share the behind the scenes stuff, could I then do something that maybe Hootsuite's founder couldn't do or Sprout Social, these other big companies, mm-hmm. that founder, that CEO couldn't be the one sharing their, their story and like how they built something from nothing. So I started to lean into that, that story, our story. So I was sharing it more on social media. And started to get a lot of interest. People started paying attention to us. Like they really loved the story. I got messages from customers saying they use Sendable because of the story. The story has oh, wow. ma- made them want to use us and choose us to follow this whole underdog story. So that was something I did deliberately the last two years. I think that was just so instrumental in us growing. Like our growth came from us being more open as a business and growing our brand. And I realized that it's those like those little unscalable things that like you wouldn't expect to see to reach out to you on LinkedIn, for example. Like I was doing that. Every every customer who signs up. Every week, I manually reach out to them. I send them a, a LinkedIn connection request, write a personalized message, tell them I'm here for them. And they get like blown away. Why is the CEO contacting me? I'm like, oh no, the CEO of this big company is reaching out. So I kept doing that. I still do it every week, reach out to them. I, I try to meet customers face-to-face. So every every day I have a start in my calendar where they can book in, book in one-on-one time with me and I can meet with them and speak to them. And because of those little unscalable things, that obviously these things don't scale, but they do scale because those customers are spreading the word of mouth. They're then telling other people about this amazing personable company where they have this amazing customer service. The CEO speaks to us. You can ask for things. That's really helped to spiral our growth as well. I realized those little unscalable things have really helped and helped us grow. You know, We talk a lot about cult brands on this show a lot because we think that that's really the way of the future. If you want to truly create something that you don't have to sell, our, our whole mission is really to free the world's experts from the purgatory of sales, right? You didn't have to sell as much because of they had that relationship. Everything that you just said, that relationship, those unscalable things, I think that's so unbelievably powerful. In, in I'm not going to paraphrase you correctly. Or I have to paraphrase you. I'm not going to quote you directly. But they did business with you because of your story, right? In most businesses, dude, they don't have a story, right? They're, I'm a business, right? But sharing that story, Sendable, I never would have thought that that's what that what Sendable, where the origin of that word came from. I mean, I'm already feeling a stronger connection to that product just by the you know 10 minutes that we've been just chatting about that specifically. 
what if you could give startups or or newer businesses advice on how to execute i i don't want to have you know deep philosophical your business wisdom i want to talk about freaking execution like how do you have the time to do these unscalable things that's a good question i mean okay so this is i guess one thing i do this is one piece of advice i do is every week i block out some time uh writing time where i'll write and that writing is really trying to reflect on problems I've had in the last week. So any challenges I've had as a founder or CEO, because I think the the key, like the stories come from your challenges, your problems you've had to overcome. So obviously I have the founding story, which is obviously always going to be there. But if you're a new CEO and you stepping into this role, every week you have problems to overcome, you have new challenges. So what I do is I reflect every week, I write down what problems I faced last week. I write down like why someone else might have experienced that problem themselves. Maybe, maybe I didn't, maybe, I mean, someone else in different shoes might also relate to that problem. Then I share how I overcame that problem. So how did I figure out how to solve that problem? And I create almost like a, like a lesson uh, for myself. Like, okay, I had the problem. Here's how I overcame it. So next time, here's what I should do differently. And I then, I then take that problem or that sort of reflection and I create some social media posts from it. Okay. So suddenly I'm like, I'm being very authentic, being vulnerable, showing that I'm, I don't know everything. Like I, I, often I'll say like, I'm, I'm, I'm winging it. I'm figuring out how to be a CEO. So I'm, by me being vulnerable, breaking down that trust barrier, they can see that I'm, I'm human, I make mistakes, that I don't have everything figured out. Um, and it's the same thing I do for my team. I'll tell them that I'm struggling with this thing, be very honest, and suddenly they start to trust you more. So I, was doing, I started doing the same thing publicly, just sharing my vulnerabilities, my mistakes, then showing how I overcame them and how I maybe, maybe, maybe made a few extra mistakes along the way, but how I overcame them and then what the lesson was after having overcome those. So I do that every week. I carve out the time to write some stuff down and then use it on social media, which builds trust. And then, I, and then when I connect with the customers, they're seeing those posts on social media, mm-hmm. so especially on LinkedIn. You connect with them, they check your profile, they see one of those very authentic posts. Mm-hmm. They then start to trust you even more. So that's what I do. And then I, yeah, in terms of connecting with customers, I use something called, called Clearbit. So Clearbit allows you to plug in some email addresses and it gives you their LinkedIn links. So you can click on the link and go straight to the profile. So it saves you time, you know, having okay. to search for them. And then I'll just craft a little post for each one from that. But I, yeah, again, I just, I block out maybe an hour to do that every week. Uh, and yeah, from there you get the responses. You can speak to customers that way. And it's really important because every bit of feedback helps us be, a, helps us, helps our product become better. Yeah. So that, 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 those feedback pieces, I then give back to the product team, give back to our customer service team. Because I think the other thing is like as a bootstrap company, Something, we, something we've always said is that our only boss is our customer. We don't have any sort of investors or anything. So for us to be real, for us to be honest, we have to speak to our customers and see how they're finding our product and service so we can improve. But most people are terrified of that, right? I mean, they're afraid that they're going to get negative responses on that. But you've taken that in the entirely opposite direction. I mean, if somebody provides you with feedback, you're immediately sharing that with the different people who help make the product better, faster, stronger, right? Yeah, that's super important. I mean, feedback is the only way we grow, right? We 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 aren't we haven't got any like uh, fund obviously investors, so we have to speak to customers all the time. So something else we do is we actually survey them in the product. So we have this NPS survey that pops up in the product every thirty days or sixty days, I think it is. Where we ask, would you recommend us to a friend mm-hmm. uh, on a scale of one to ten? Typical NPS, and based on that, we then know. So if we have detractors, people are low rate us like one to three or I think one to five, whatever it is. We then have our product team reach out to them 
and do user research. So they'll actually interview those customers who've given us a low score and see how we can improve. So that they're doing that. And I'll, I'll meet with the people in the middle who maybe aren't happy, aren't extremely happy, and maybe on the lower end of the spectrum to see what we can do to make them delighters. How can we delight those customers and make them want to recommend us? Because we rely so heavily on word of mouth. We, we, we don't do any sort of outbound sales, as you mentioned. We don't have a huge ad strategy. All our growth has come from this unscalable stuff, this word of mouth stuff. So if we can turn more of our customers into promoters mm-hmm. and make them active, like actively promoting Sendable, that's how we grow. So that's why it's so important for us to meet with customers and get the feedback and improve. Let's, I want to go back to the vulnerability aspect. There's a, an author who I am a huge fan of. His name is Dr. Robert Cialdini, <clears throat> and he talks about how to build influence and trust. And one of the fastest way to build trust with somebody is go from a position of weakness or vulnerability to a position of strength, right? And, and you are a master at that. How did you have that epiphany? Did you did you just scrape your knee one day and say, I need to be more vulnerable? Or is this part of who you are? Where did you learn that, Gavin? Okay, so the, the background was I went to Social Media Marketing World, which is a huge conference in San Diego a couple of years ago. And all the speakers were talking about storytelling. Like storytelling is the key to your success generally in in marketing today. If you think about people's attention spans, you pulled in a million directions. You, you, you can't sell to people anymore. It's, it's all about like, how can you craft these amazing stories that can inspire people? So that, that was the first, the first piece was, was that kind of going to, going to this conference, everyone talking about storytelling being the thing, the, the big thing. And then from there, like really learning about how to craft stories. Like what does it take to get people to pay attention, to create that emotional reaction? to get them to buy into your story. Like, like how do these amazing shows on Netflix and Disney and all these things, how do they like explode like they do? It's because of amazing storytelling and amazing writing and amazing content. So in order to get people to pay attention these days, you have to be a good storyteller. That's, that's the only way forward. So I started like looking at, okay, what, how do you craft stories? What's the typical arc of a story? What are different plot lines, typical plots of a story? And then I would like just look for things in my life that I could turn into a story and then figure out how to get the most, the most, I guess the highest level of engagement from those posts. So I would every week through that process of reflecting, then writing the story, putting it on social media, just seeing what kind of story or narrative would generate the most engagement. And the ones that did were the ones that were, were, were when I was most vulnerable. Hmm. So if I showed myself like looking sad as opposed to looking perfect, you know, everyone portrays this perfect life on social media, mm-hmm. but to cut through the noise, you have to portray the imperfect life. Don't always be so perfect because everyone else looks perfect. If you can be that authentic person, not being perfect every time, people look for that kind of content. So I started trying that, experimenting there with that kind of content. And it was really paying off. It's just being, putting yourself out there, admitting to mistakes, admit, admitting when you know, you're facing problems and that you aren't perfect. And that's when I was getting all the attention, to be honest. People started like listening to me, what I was saying, because I was, I was human, I was being authentic. So that, that's kind of the whole pathway to this discovery, I guess. Do you think this is a generational thing? So a lot of the clients that Kirk and I and Proudmouth really started working with were were older, uber professional people. Do you think that this is this vulnerability, this tendency towards understanding the power of vulnerability is something that is like a Gen X millennial sort of take on life? Or do you think that it's just epiphany that you have to have and give yourself that permission? I think, yeah, I think... That's a good question. I think people like to portray this curated version of themselves. So online, you, you're portraying the per- the version you want to portray is this curated version. That's it's not the real version. So I, I don't think it's it's natural to humans in in general to want to be so vulnerable publicly. You you want to like hide your weaknesses really, not lean into them. 
So I think that by if you can find your weaknesses and lean into them publicly, that's when you get attention. It's it's a strange thing. It's a strange dynamic, but it's, it's natural to hide your weaknesses, bury them inside. But when I started sharing how vulnerable I was and my fears and my concerns and even growing to a 50, 60 person company, how scary that was for me as a CEO, like showing that publicly, people start to pay attention to that stuff because it's, it's not it's not common. So I don't think it's a generational thing. I think it's just, it's a human thing. I think humans just don't want to naturally show any weakness publicly or to anyone. Did you get but any the minute feedback? you do is when you get attention. Sorry. Did you get any feedback from other CEOs? Like, were there other CEOs of, of, of tech companies who were like, Gavin, dude, what are you doing? Did you ever hear any of that? Or did you hear from CEOs like, wow, what are you doing? So my, my whole thing in my head, I wanted to be the anti-CEO. <laughs> All right. So I think, I think the problem is if you follow the status quo, that's when your, your judgment gets jaded. You don't think for yourself. You don't think clearly. So my whole idea was like, what can I do differently? Like, what do most CEOs do? So most of them are busy. They're in meetings all day. They haven't got time. How, how about I carved out some time to really surprise customers and maybe, maybe give my team something that they wouldn't expect. It's just be a bit different. And I think, yeah, I think that was really instrumental. I, I don't think it's about following a CEO or doing what typical CEOs do. It's about how you can stand out and not be the same as every other CEO. I, I guess the other thing is like we're, we're a fully bootstrapped company. We've been able to attract talent. You could have got a job at, at an amazing, huge tech company you know, in, in Silicon Valley, but they've chosen to come work for us, a smaller bootstrapped company. So for us to really stand out and attract the talent, I've had to become a really good storyteller and tell the stories that bring them in, paint this vision, paint this, this picture. It's, it's not just about being a CEO and copying other CEOs and that kind of thing. It's, 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 it's come about because of being a bootstrap company and trying to stand out in a very, very crowded space. This is really the main reason why I really wanted you on this show, right? I mean, as I told you before, this this podcast, this live stream is just getting started. But I, I can't wait for people to to 50 episodes in, go back and and see this and and say, oh my God, we had the guy on the show who was the anti-CEO who was vulnerable, told the stories, everything that we we here stand for you live. And I, I really want to thank you for that because it's a, it's neat to meet people so that we don't seem like we're so crazy, right? I mean, talking to, you know, professional business owners and experts and saying, Hey, look, you, you need to be raw. You need to be, especially on podcasts. They're, they're so concerned sometimes Gavin about having it be perfect. And then when they record it, and it's the imperfect episode that gets the most listens, that's reinforcing this whole idea and behavior. Now, are you coming, Are you going to write a book about this? I mean, how are you going to continue to, I, I want to do whatever we can here at Proudmouth. I'm going to say this to you live on, on this for posterity here. Whatever we can do to help you continue this mission, we absolutely want to help you with that because we believe not only in the unscalable aspects, but the vulnerability and, and truly being unapologetically yourself. But tell me what's next. Where are you going from here, dude? Yeah. So obviously since, since setting the company, everyone's asking me the same question. Like, can I help them? First of all, can I share my advice? Mm -hmm. It's not common that you see a bootstrap founder, you know, exiting in this way, you know, for, yeah, I mean, it's a life-changing amount of money to be honest. So it is a huge deal, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to start something else still. So I'm going to, I'm building something now, a new product, which is kind of aligned with my thinking. Uh, obviously I can't say what it is just yet. Sure. But I'm also like sharing my learnings online. So if you go to unscalable.me, I'm writing a newsletter on there where I share, you know, usually it's once every two weeks or so. I'll share something. And it's, it's along the lines of thinking differently in a very noisy world. We live in an extremely 
noisy world where everyone's trying to get our attention. We've become skimmers and scrollers and we, we don't stop and pay attention to things. So I'm going to show you how you can do unscalable things to help you stand out. The things that people don't expect, like the anti-CEO thing, like challenging the status quo. These kinds of things are really important in a, in a crowded space we live in today. So I'm sharing all my learnings on there, all, all the things I'm reading, uh, the books I'm reading, any, any that content I'm, I'm discovering that's helping me on my journey, but also just my own experience and my own perspective on things. Because yeah, it is a fairly unique perspective. I, I, I guess one story is, you know, I was in the beginning when I started Sendable, Mark Zuckerberg was exploding as this amazing entrepreneur. So I thought, okay, everyone's writing about this guy on TechCrunch. Obviously you have to give away your company to get any traction. So I thought I have to give away half my company to grow, to grow into a business, uh, but I, did, I didn't actually challenge the status quo. I thought that's normal. Like to get a business off the ground, you have to give away a huge, a huge chunk. And I've realized that that's not the case. You can build a company without giving away anything. If you can tell the right story, inspire people, create a vision and think differently. So yeah, I'm sharing all that, all that content and all that, all that uh, kind of knowledge on, on that, that newsletter. Well, make sure that you ping us with when you launch this new thing, cause we're going to be putting it out really all over the place. I want to highlight just a couple of things, and then I've got one final question for you. So many of you have heard us say, rise above the noise and be your own loud. And I don't know if Gavin is doing this to be really nice to us, but he's using some of the terms that we really firmly believe in so strongly that are part of our mission and vision here at Proudmouth, right? There is so much terrible amounts of misinformation and noise out there. What do you need to do to rise above the noise? And what we're hearing from Gavin is, one, you have to tell stories. Two, you have to be vulnerable. You have to go against the grain. And if those are things that you hold dear, that you think, you know what, I'm just so tired of looking like everybody else. I want to be my own me. We would love for you to click on the link that's uh, that uh, Jen's about to share either to, to connect with us, listen to our podcast, or join the Influence Accelerator Academy so that you can hang out with other people who are like you, who want to think like you, and who want to think like like Gavin here, who built an unbelievable, life, not only life-changing company for him, but also for all of the team that he's built and all of the customers that he's really touched. So Gavin, I don't always get to ask this question, but I think it's important to ask you, what should I have asked you? What, what did I miss? What is something else that you'd like to share with our audience that I, I just flat out forgot to ask you? Probably, probably not, not a question in general. I, I just think that, I mean, I have a strong belief that trust is the most important thing. Like uh, trust-based marketing is, is the future of, of marketing. You know, I, I guess what, what, one, one analogy to think about is if you can build a strong brand that people come to you or they, they kind of know what you stand for, they trust you. You don't have to go out and sell. You don't have to go out and cold call and use advertising. So I would, my, my only sort of thing I would say is just for your listeners to think about building a brand and why storytelling is important is because it allows you to break down that, that barrier, that, that, that trust barrier. It allows you to build a brand because people hear your stories and then think about you when, when they encounter other things. So one analogy is Nike. You, you don't see Nike sort of cold calling people to buy their shoes. People know to go to Nike for good quality shoes, right? You should go buy a Nike, a pair of Nikes. That's the same thing you should aspire to in your own business. Aspire to build your brand above all else and tell the stories that can help establish your brand in the minds of your audience. And the way we did that at Sendable is we actually created sort of values. So you start, start with your values. We have, we have full, full values. And when you're creating your content, you think of where can that content fit in with the value that I've just created. So one of our values is being authentic, authenticity. So we always think of content that helps us be authentic. Maybe something that we show behind the scenes, whatever it is, but 
taking a value and then making that part of your, your content pillar. Another one is, is curious, is being curious, curiosity. Mm-hmm. So we always, so we share our learnings publicly. So if we discovered something last week in, in the company, we'll make an effort to, sh- effort to share that, that knowledge, whether it's in product, marketing, sales, or customer success, whatever it is, we try to share those, those ideas. But yeah, I, I think trust-based marketing is the future. If you can get your customers to trust you and your audience to trust you, they will then share your story with their audience because of the trust you've established. So yeah, I think that's, that's super important today. Gavin, this was awesome, man. Thank you very, very much for, uh, one, taking time out of your day. I know that you are, what, five plus hours ahead of us over there in the UK. And uh, so thank you for spending some of your dinner time with us or early dinner. I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for sharing all of your wisdom. We'll make sure that we post all of the links on on social media. We're also going to make sure that they're in the show notes when this becomes a podcast. But I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me on, Matt. And uh, take care. Thanks. Well, here's the thing, everybody. He talked about so many components that we talk about and we believe so strongly here at Proudmouth. One, unapologetically being yourself. That happens to be one of our company values too. He talked about curiosity. One of ours is Kaizen, uh, continuous gradual improvement, which is a very, very similar philosophy that we have here at Proudmouth that we want our team to truly embody to make sure that they're always learning more and more. But I want you to think back on just the different points that were those, I need to write this down points. In fact, I've got a little pad of paper here that Gavin said so many things. I have a whole page of just little quotes that he said. Because if you can take these podcasts, if you can take these live streams, and you can find out what you can do to rise above that noise, to be highlighted, to be different, to be your own loud... And really own your vertical of expertise. That's where everything absolutely changes. And our goal, much like what just Gavin just said with Nike, is to help you never have to sell again, right? We want people to opt into who you are as a human being, somebody that they feel that they can like, they know, and that they trust. And we feel that the best way to do that is through the power of your voice, the power of video, the power of the human connection, which is what we try to facilitate here for you at Proudmouth. If you want to know more about who we are, please uh, go to proudmouth.com, but also go to Influence Accelerator Academy. We have a free version where you can sign up and get access to a whole bunch of thought leadership. And pretty soon you're going to have access to the other people that are in there so that you can have lots and lots of great conversations. So you can surround yourself with other people who truly want to rise above the noise and be their own loud. So for Gavin and all of us here at Proudmouth, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to Be Your Own Loud, where we reverse engineer success to help you accelerate your influence and break free from the torment of sales. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to our podcast, share with others in your company or profession, follow us on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. Visit us at Proudmouth.com and join our Influence Accelerator Academy for free to enhance your marketing mindset and know-how.